Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. against Seattle post-game podcast from inside U.S. Bank Stadium. Matthew Collar and Sam Ekstrom here. And let me just fire a question at you right off the very top All here. Right. Best Kirk Cousins performance as a Minnesota Viking, yes or no? Uh, no, I don't think it was. Um, I would have to think back through. I mean, they had like nine yards of play two years ago against Detroit. And I know that the name brand Seattle Seahawks would tell you that this is a very good opponent that he just did it against and a great defense, but I don't think that's the case. I think this was a bad defense that he just tore apart. Now, am I detracting from what Kirk Cousins did today? No, I think it was a fantastic Kirk game. Um, and it was a productive offensive day. Seattle had no answer. Uh, they ran the ball well. They passed. Everything was good. Is it the best offensive performance that they've had in Mike Zimmer's eight years, as he declared, might be a little recency bias to rain on the parade. It was really good, though. Top five, top ten. I mean, the receivers were constantly open. Running game was efficient. Third down offense was tremendous. If you want to knock them, they didn't score a touchdown in the second half, but they did sustain drives and keep the ball away from Russell Wilson. So from, like, early second quarter on, I mean, that – 23-0 run they went on. That's that's as good as they've looked, obviously, in a couple of years. Okay, let me make a comparison for this one because I think this was very similar to the game that they played against the New Orleans Saints to open the 2017 mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. where, no, it was not absolutely perfect. They didn't put up 56 points or something, uh, and the defense was not absolutely perfect in that game either, but they made a lot of big stops when they needed them, and it was against a team that, okay, at this moment I am not convinced will ultimately be good. And so this might be one where we look back and say, okay, bigger than, uh, or uh, you know, we made it bigger than it ultimately was eventually down the road because the way that Seattle coached today, I just don't know that that's going to win in their division. Their division is very, very tough, and their coaching was very, very bad. Their defensive scheme was a major struggle. Wide receivers open all over the field. The in-game decisions were pathetic, to be honest. I mean, just as bad as you get in the year 2021. In the year 2003, maybe fine to punt away where they kick a field goal and miss it or to punt at fourth and five in the middle of the field. But when you have one of the world's great quarterbacks, that is a way to lose a game, especially when uh, the other team is running up and down the field on you and sustaining long drives so uh, f minus for seattle in terms of their coaching their defensive personnel has just completely deteriorated but their quarterback is still as good as he has ever been russell wilson was great today and, and the fact that this team in seattle last year went 12 and 4 makes the playoffs every single year 
and the fact that the Vikings were 0-2 back against the wall absolutely needed this to reset their season and have a chance to make the playoffs. You go 0-3, things become really, really tough from there. I think that that qualifies as Kirk Cousins' either biggest win or close since 2018. I mean, aside from the game in New Orleans where they win the playoff game, clearly that. But regular season, maybe there's another comp of the 2018 game where they went to Philadelphia. And again, eventually that game didn't look quite as good because I think Philly went maybe 9-7 and seven that year. But at the time, it was a huge game early in the season. Kirk played really well, took some hits and made some big throws. And he did that today. I mean, everything that Seattle gave the Vikings, they took advantage of offensively. And I think what we see here is they know, and Clint Kubiak knows, how to get the ball to all of his playmakers, whether it's screens or deeper throws to Justin Jefferson or just having an answer on a blitz with K.J. Osborne coming over the middle. Everything was there. And I think we've said this many times over the last couple of years that when you lay it all out there, when you give pass protection, a running game, open receivers to throw to, Kirk Cousins is as good as any quarterback in the NFL. And that's always been sort of a knock to say that. But then when you see it in action, you go, well, it's not exactly a knock. It's more of a description. And it's a description that comes to fruition every time a defense plays like this, like like you said, was very Lions-y in the way that it played. And he just beat the tar out of them. Yeah, th- this was every facet working together complementarily. The uh, the the offensive line grades, I assume, will be pretty kind to uh, the the group in this game. They were very good. That's two games and two sacks for Kirk Cousins, and one that got nullified by a defensive holding call that we can talk about as a pretty clear turning point in this game. Um, but. This is a team that could win some shootouts, and I I think now through three games, if you take out the first half of the first game, five halves of football where this offense has been very good. Um, Their three and out percentage, which was a big knock on them last year, they're sustaining drives when they need to. Sometimes they're scoring when avoiding third down entirely. Like they did that for their first touchdown today. They did that two or three times last week. Um, they're just really efficient on first down. Kirk Cousins is is making fewer of those what-the-heck throws. Um, we haven't seen bad Kirk really emerge at all yet. Um, and sometimes with Kirk, I think things snowball. Like I think sometimes if he gets kind of down early in the game, feels that pressure. He's made some throws where maybe Mike Zimmer's like made a comment to him like, hey, you can't do that. Maybe that puts him on edge and he hasn't had that. He's kind of been all like, you know, forward momentum so far on offense this year. And um, and people keep saying that he's different, you know, like he kind of denies it. He downplays it. But Thielen said he's different. Madison said he's different. Zimmer said he's different. So I think I tend to believe those voices in saying that maybe something is happening here in year 10, and it's still a small sample size. I want to stress that. We're only three games in, but um, there might be a revelation here for what Kirk Cousins can be and do, turnover free through three games. He uh, he seems even more willing to take like stand in there and take hits, kind of Bradford-like in that regard, um, which I know Mike Zimmer you know respects a ton. So continued good things from Kirk and this offense is going to need to outscore some teams because even like 41 minutes or no 49 minutes of uh of shutout football 
No, I got that wrong. 41 minutes. I apologize. 41 minutes of shutout football um, late in the game down the stretch. I mean, I still think there's issues on this defense to be resolved, but uh, the offense covered up for him today. Yeah. Okay. Let me, we'll get into that and we'll get into kind of the turning point and everything else. But in terms of the broad strokes, um, by the way, I was a month early. I predicted in our predictions before the season that Cousins would win player of the month, I think, in October. But he ha- is giving himself a pretty darn good chance to do it for September. And, and that's the thing about Cousins and his career is there are these peak moments that are truly remarkable. In 2019, which I've started to think like this season sort of has a 2019-ish feel to it where there's a lot of drama early on and they sort of get into uh, a role a little bit and then we'll see when it comes to the big games they're going to have to go to San Francisco they're going to have to go to Baltimore and Green Bay not in that order and and we're going to find out when they play some better defenses along the way but when we looked at the beginning of the schedule it's like Who's got a good defense here? Cincinnati certainly does not. Uh, Arizona and Seattle definitely do not. And and these are the games that have worked for Cousins in the past when you have defenses that play a lot of single high, defenses that aren't particularly good at stopping the run. This is why I picked the Vikings to win because this has all the earmarks of a great Kirk Cousins performance and I think he uh, outperformed even my expectations. I thought this would be a little closer, but... There's a formula for this offense to win, and when it gets tested later in the season, then we're going to really see how this works. But when they can run effectively, and they didn't really need the play actions today, but uh, come through on third downs as they did so often in this game. Didn't quite finish as many drives as they needed to, but find open receivers. I think Justin Jefferson, after an early drop, put any concerns to rest that Justin Jefferson is anything less than he was last year. He's uh, absolutely terrific today. Thielen makes a great catch in the end zone. Like this, these are things that this team is capable of. The offensive line the last two weeks has not really been tested though. The defensive lines of Arizona and Seattle are not good. Chandler Jones is good, but that's it of all the, all the players and Watt. but even Watt is not anywhere near what he used to be. Uh, those, those defensive lines are not impressive. And so as we go forward, maybe we'll see next week against Cleveland, a team that just beat the tar out of the Chicago bears and embarrassed them. Well, how does that defense look against this team? But the broad strokes of it are, this looks like an offense that not only can carry this team at times, but may have to carry this team at times because in the second half, I feel like Sam, the offense did all of the work in the second half and the defense stood and watched and then they had to run out there and make a couple of stops. But the fact that the Vikings offense was on the field for so long, that was the big advantage here. I think there is a lot to talk about with the first half of that game and how easily Seattle steamrolled their way potentially to a victory if there was not a suspect holding call on the defense on Seattle, we could have been looking at 24 to seven. And, and it's a huge swing in this game and give credit to the Vikings for taking advantage of a good break that they got. But the way that the defense was playing early in the game, I thought it was a reasonable possibility. We were going to be talking about the Vikings getting blown out at that point. It looked like they were getting blown out. So I think there's still a lot to look at on the defensive side and say, is this going to have to be a team that wins shootouts? Yeah, the uh, the rarely is a turning point as defined as it was in this game, but a third down sack in your own inside your own twenty 
that's going to give it back to Seattle, who has just produced 201 yards in three drives and 17 points. And the only thing that it slowed them down was their own block in the back call. Um, to give it back to them at that point, it, it felt like the wheels coming off of the season. Like, Owen, you're staring at 0-3. And from that point on, Seattle had one meaningful drive in 18 minutes of game time. The Vikings double-dipped, scored going into halftime. Seattle had, you know, a little dink and dunk before halftime, which didn't matter. Then Vikings come out second half, eight-minute drive, touchdown. Seattle did nothing for almost a quarter. They had a missed field goal in that stretch on a, you know, a, a decent drive for them, and that seemed to flip the momentum a little bit more as well. Um, but then, you know, Vikings defense got to play with a lead in the second half. It seemed like they got after Wilson more, probably did make some adjustments. They stuck with their coverage. I, I thought they got better as the second half went along, as the lead increased, as defenses tend to do. Um, the crowd got more into it. It was kind of a mausoleum in here late second quarter, and then they came alive in the second half. Um, but, but if this offense is going to convert at the rate they have the last two weeks, which has to be among, among the best in football, um, it, it, they could win some 30 to 27, 35 to 31 kind of games. And they almost did it last week. I mean, last week should have been 36, 34. And you're walking out of there saying this offense is incredible. This is the story. And I think there's just a, a, a little more of a killer instinct to this offense than we saw last year when they seemed a little more complacent. Um, Alexander Madison was terrific. So if Dalvin is out for any meaningful amount of time, I think that you can probably survive. Mike Zimmer said, hey, there's still room to improve if Dalvin comes back. So, um, yeah, th this this game was going nowhere for the Vikings before that penalty. And it, it's hard to say what happens if it if it doesn't get called, but it feels like a 17-point deficit they would have had to overcome. And, and so often, I mean, that's football, right? There's one point in the game where if you take advantage of it, you win, and if you don't, you lose. And, and at that point, when they get, I forget exactly the order of operations, but they got a couple of big plays from Alexander Madison in there, a couple of runs, there was a screen pass mixed in, and then all of a sudden they're on the other side of the field. And it felt like even if they ended the drive there and punted away, it was still a massive difference than punting from your own end zone, which by the way, uh, Jordan Berry did not punt a lot today, but that guy can really punt. Um, that's just a, a side note, but yeah. the, his punt at the end of the game was incredible and he's been good for them. But I Okay, so a couple of things that we've talked about throughout the years that Cousins have, has been here. One of them has been that Zimmer doesn't necessarily trust him. And the other one has been sort of you need a third receiver. You need to lean into Cousins. Can you get the offensive line to average? These are all things that I feel like have come up mm -hmm. year after year, offseason after offseason. And now if we're checking boxes here. Cousins is earning more trust from Zimmer, no matter what their personal issues might be. There has to be, after these three games, a little more trust built up. They have an offensive line that two weeks in a row has performed solidly, if not very good, uh, against average to below average competition, of course, but, but good. They have um, a third wide receiver in K.J. Osborne who didn't have huge numbers today but came up with one of the biggest catches. I, I think what we're seeing is maybe sustainable, not necessarily to the point where they could be the best de uh, offense in the NFL. They're not going to face a defense like this all the time. But sustainable in that they can take advantage when the other team opens the door, 
like Seattle did today, or when they do get behind in a game, or when the other team is scoring, or when everything doesn't go exactly perfectly in a game like today where they got behind, that you feel like a 10-point lead for the other team isn't a death knell to what you're doing. And, and I think that like those solutions have sort of come some by accident and, and leaning into Cousins and throwing more, maybe by accident with Delvin Cook out today. So I'm curious to see if when Delvin Cook does return that there's still more aggressiveness. I don't remember too many second and long runs today. Uh, maybe they just weren't in those situations. But there has been more, it seems, leaning into Cousins and not only relying on him when he throws play action on first and ten. Yeah, so I, I think part of that is the defense hasn't been as they expect. It's been worse. So they've trailed in every right. game, right? right? They've trailed twice in the second half, and then not today in the second half, but they were down by 10, and the, the passing game just proved to be unstoppable, so they kept doing it. Um, but they've also established the run along with that in two of the games. And I think you saw in Cincinnati what happens when you're a little bit stubborn trying to run the ball and – and if there is an encouraging aspect of that game, it's that that offense was able to recover and give themselves a chance to win. I mean, their onslaught against the Bengals in the second half was actually pretty impressive because they decided to throw the ball. So you're right. They've kind of stumbled upon the solutions. Um, and I guess you can say the Irv Smith injury was the start of it because if not for that, K.J. Osborne doesn't play as much as he has. Um, we, we might be realizing that the Chris Herndon trade might, you know, end up looking foolish in hindsight, but that's okay. I mean, it's still a, you know, day three draft pick you gave up, but Tyler Conklin doing more things today than I think we saw from Kyle Rudolph anytime last year. He's just got a little more speed. He's more athletic. Um, I think cousins has good report with him. So I, I think there's a lot of pieces on this offense that can, mix and match like you know I I think you like um you like Madison behind Cook you like Osborne as your your top backup receiver like you you just have some pieces that you can mix and match with um I I am curious to see what happens against Cleveland because they're gonna get you know number one Stefanski knows the system he knows what they're trying to do number two he's got talent on that team so is Cleveland going to flummox them, and how will they respond to that? Because they they haven't met a lot of resistance against Arizona and Seattle, and I think so. They've they've passed the tests of beating good defense or um, beating bad defenses and kind of having their way. Um, what's going to happen when they meet a really good one? Probably for the first time next week. I was going to make another point too, just about Stefanski knowing what they want to do and what they want to do. I think is just changed a little bit. Because when they've run bootlegs this year, almost every time there's a player upfield and Cousins has to throw it away. And they've gone away from it, and it does seem that they're going to quicker passes, getting the ball out of Cousins' hand, which is more of a 2018-ish thing. And Mike Zimmer was asked about it after the game, and he said, no, 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 that's not the case. But, like, factually, it is the case. And when you look at his average depth of target, it's down. You look at his release time, it's up. And I'll check after this game what those numbers are. But clearly getting the ball out 
a lot quicker, I think. And, and that had to be part of the plan of this year because last year they were running the Matt Schaub, Gary Kubiak offense from 09, where it's these long developing play actions, deep uh, crossing routes, which do work in the NFL, but not when the other team sends someone upfield. So it seems like they've had the ability to adapt which also gives you some confidence in Clint Kubiak. Now, again, like you said, they didn't score five more touchdowns in the second half. There was certainly an opportunity at the end of the game where Zimmer decided to kick a field goal yeah, bad move. and left the door open ever so slightly. But Pete Carroll by far had a worse day in terms of decision-making than, uh, than Zimmer's call there. But uh, I think that what we've seen from Clint Kubiak is – a lot of things that are different than Gary Kubiak and maybe even from Kevin Stefanski um, from last year. So I guess I wonder when Delvin Cook comes back, how this thing looks, if they are as aggressive, if they're in situations to be aggressive, and if Cousins can continue protecting the football and throwing all the time. Because that has been the thing with those turnovers is they usually come in bunches and so I guess as we're projecting forward, how all of these things combine, I'm interested to see. Now, just I'm sorry we're swinging back and forth, offense, defense, you know, breaking this thing down. But um, it's time to make Everson Griffin the starting defensive end. Agree? Yes. Um, we'll need to watch it back, but I can't remember seeing DJ Wanham today. Did he play? Confirm that he played. Did you see 98 out there? I think he was dressed. You think? I think so, too. Um, didn't see much from Stephen Weatherly either. I did see Everson Griffin flashing and, uh, and getting a sack. Sack Daddy Dance fans loved it. He's, you're right. Um, I think it was justifiable to say that he needed a month to get back in game shape. He's there. Um, he looks easily like the number two defensive end. And, like, you know, you're not insulting DJ Wanham. Like, he's not going to lose all of his confidence because it's Everson Griffin. I mean, obviously, he's got enough equity that it makes sense to give him the job and, uh, you know, make DJ Wanham your, your third down guy. That's fine. I mean, if you want athletic pass rushers on the field in those situations, I think he still has a role, but maybe wasn't quite ready for it yet. And Everson Griffin looks really good to me. So I think that's uh, a must. And tell me if you agree with this, Matthew. The, maybe the, the pressure numbers and the, the sack totals the last two games aren't reflected, but I think they've done a pretty good job on the defensive line, at least fl flustering these quarterbacks. Now, like Kyler Murray last week is going to make plays out of that, but like Andre Patterson pointed out this week, why was he running? Because he was flushed from the pocket, and sometimes that's like an undisciplined rush, but sometimes it, it's a good rush too, and I feel like they've done enough to unsettle the last couple of quarterbacks that if, if they continue doing those same things, they're going to get to Baker Mayfield. Um, they're going to get to certainly Jared Goff. They're going to get to Sam Darnold the next three weeks. Um, and I think that that's a pretty encouraging sign. And maybe they can get, you know, Wanham a sack, build his confidence, get Weatherly a sack and, uh, and keep doing some of those things. And I, I think kind of moving from the defensive line backward, I think that's where the cracks start to appear is the further away from the ball is where the issues are happening right now. 
Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage. Can't stop the Thielen hats and a personal favorite, the old video game designs that Tecmo fans will appreciate. Check it all out at sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Everything is screen printed here in Minnesota, and I can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now Soda Stick at this point. Again, that's SodaStick.com, Minnesota sports-inspired goods, and keep your eye out for our Soda Stick giveaways. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, with the defensive line, so, gosh, it's so interesting just how a game unfolds and what that means to the numbers and how we remember it. Because in the first half, Seattle was just gashing them on the run. And they score a touchdown that goes, I think, 30 yards. They're getting big gains against the defensive line. They were running no huddle. They were able to keep Everson Griffin and Sheldon Richardson out there. And it was a very clever strategy by Seattle to do that early in the game, knowing that the Vikings had been rotating on the defensive line. But even when Delvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce have been in there these first three weeks, opponents have not had any problem running the football. Uh, Cincinnati did it well. Arizona didn't run a lot, but when they did, they succeeded. And by the second half of this game, when the Vikings, as they call it, double dip, when they scored at the end of the first half, which has been such a problem for them, uh, that was a huge drive. And then they come out and get a field goal. It really changed what Seattle could do on offense. I mean, they just couldn't be as patient. They couldn't run the ball constantly against the Vikings, and it helped them a lot. But I think that that is something to watch against Cleveland because Cleveland is an elite running team. One of the best in the league over the last few years. If you allow Cleveland to run over you, you'll never see the ball on the offensive side. So that's kind of an interesting like little wrinkle to the defense on the back end. They solved their problems in the second half, largely again with Seattle sort of desperately trying to push it down the field, a few big plays that they got, um, you know, Eric Hendricks made a couple of really nice plays and things like that. They did a great job of containing Russell Wilson. He didn't break out and have any 50-yard runs or anything like he did a couple years ago. But the attacking of Bashad Breland early in the game was so clear what Seattle wanted to do. And that seems like it's going to be a week-to-week kind of thing. And also Patrick Peterson getting roasted by DK Metcalf. And like, also Cam Dantzler tweeting after the game mm-hmm. that, what, what what did he say exactly? I'm biting my tongue about this whole situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah not a good look. Uh, uh, and then included FR, which means for real. For all the, yeah, the, the linguists out yeah, there. For the, those with swag like myself. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> We won't get into the whether Kirk has more swag or not, but um, 
Yeah, uh, Cam Dantzler, I think, doesn't want to be on this football team anymore, and that'll be interesting to track because normally when players have acted this way, they find their way out pretty quick. That uh, tweeting things about their playing time has never been very acceptable for Mike Zimmer, so we'll see what happens there. But, I mean, there there is issues when it comes to the cornerbacks. I don't think anyone's playing very well. Even we saw Xavier Woods miss a tackle today. They gave up a huge play to a tight end. I mean, we are... If like the first half and the second half are so different because the offense had the ball for the whole second half that we sort of rewrite how it went, but it was a miserable first half for the defense. They were just giving up everything. And I think that that is not easily solvable. I don't see Patrick Peterson having the burst that he used to have. I don't see Bashad Breland as being the solid veteran that we thought he was going to be. And I don't think we've seen Harrison Smith having the impact that Harrison Smith normally has on offenses. So I think as you go into these next couple of games, Detroit has a very poor offense and oh my God, the way they lost the game today was just One ast- of the, astounding. The great press box moments like not related to the Vikings but watching that with you and everyone else in the press room wow right you that just, was that was incredible as he lined up for it, everyone is like it'll be a record it'll be a record it'll be, oh my god <laughs> and then it bounces off of the crossbar goes up in the air we're like hey, is it in was it short what happened and then it's in I mean it's just insane uh so that but that's not a good offense uh I'm not convinced Carolina's a good offense so really this Cleveland test is the big one for them to Mm -hmm. see whether this defense can start to come together a little based on what they did in the second half of this game. That's going to be a huge difference maker because as much as we talk about this one sort of saving the season or hitting the reset button on the season, as we're talking right now, Green Bay is beating San Francisco. But if, if they lose, then we're like, okay, I mean, everyone's sort of at square one again but it has to carry over. They have to figure out something to do with Breland and with what's left of Patrick Peterson and the safeties who have occasionally been on the same page and occasionally not. I think that these are prevailing issues, even though the second half sort of shoved those under the rug. Yeah, no doubt about it. And this this happens a lot with Zimmer defenses. They they don't come out of the gate playing well. And then something does get figured out sometimes. You know, they their last four meaningful drives was like missed field goal, punt, punt, turnover on down. So something did get adjusted. They were having trouble with the substitutions, the no huddle. Um, but the run defense is alarming. Breland is alarming. Xavier Woods, who I'm a huge fan of, hasn't been quite as good the last couple games. I do think there are moves to be made, though. I think that Everson Griffin, opposite defensive end, we talked about that already. Anthony Barr probably coming back at some point. He's on that track. And I have to agree with Cam Dantzler. I think he should play. I think he should have played today. Now, they know more than we do. Um, They see him in practice, and practice performance does matter, like to Mike Zimmer, a lot. It's not not about um, necessarily who's playing, you know, badly in the game. If the backup isn't playing well in practice, he's not going to play. And I think there was probably some um, momentum in Dantzler's mind that he played well last week, and then he talked to the media this week and got a lot of questions about how well he played and probably got in his head that he was going to play today and then didn't, you know, behind a probably injured, ineffective Bashad Breland. 
th- th- that's going to be on tape. Everyone's going to see that Breland is the guy that's getting targeted. They're going to go after that. Um, if you've got one weak corner, then that affects the whole secondary because yep. it only takes one to really mess everything up. Um, and and I think I think you can still improve this defense I I just think that it's it's a little patchwork right now you've got all these pieces trying to figure things out the tackles maybe aren't uh you know creating as many second and longs as you hoped they would with those those TFLs not quite the Linval Joseph effect yet Uh, maybe there will be a game like that but yeah it's to me it's a work in progress like I don't think you've really solved anything I thought Patrick Peterson today was um probably had his worst game I think I, I defended him last week because he was credited with that 77-yard touchdown. It's more of a mental error. I mean, I'm more concerned about when he just gets burned, and I thought that happened a few times today. So, uh, yeah, I've got worries about the defense, and I, I assume Mike Zimmer does too, where he's going to recognize you know, some of these things that are going wrong, and maybe we'll see some new personnel next week. How much on a scale, say, uh, let's go 1 to 10? creative scale there i know incredible incredible that's what you listen for is creativity like that but um like how much does this win mean like one to ten i mean is it like a 10 out of 10 you saved the season now you can forget oh and two ever happened and steamroll your way to four and two at the bye and feel like you're an nfc north contender that would be 10 one is it means nothing and thanks pete carroll for just mismanaging so many things and your terrible defense like what what is um where do you put well call one a win versus the lions in the matt patricia era like where where does this sort of fall on your scale yeah i think it's about a six and a half um you know that compared to oh and three I think it means the most by what it avoids. It avoids a cataclysmic start to the season and gets you to, I think, the next week with a chance to emotionally and mentally reset yourself because all of the good Zimmer teams have used two and two as a launch pad. Um, If you get to two and two, you've got all this previous experience to, to pull from. You've gotten through sort of the rigors of the early season, working out some of those problems. And then I think you can go into, you know, the bye at four and two. I really think there's a good chance of that. Uh, Oddly, Carolina is going to be over 500 at that point. So that that's, even though they played nobody, that's still maybe not going to be a pushover game. That's probably on par with like going into Cincinnati. So you're going to have to play well there to go four and two, but I think it's on the table. And I think they're already one point favorites against Cleveland. I think that they can win every game in this building. Um, I know you wrote about the home field advantage and how U.S. Bank Stadium probably provides a little more than most other venues. And I think that's true. I think the fans were great today. And I think they they legitimately can make a run at it. Uh, And there's always the concern, though, on the other side of it where – this is the best we'll see of Kirk. Like it, it, it'd be hard to get better, and that yep. he's due for a regression to the mean. And as we know about Kirk Cousins, he tends to always level out. <laughs> so and usually it start bad and then get better. And the worry is going to be that he starts well and then regresses, and that he commits a turnover at some point. It's got to happen someday. Yeah, yep. you know he's going to fumble. He's going to throw a pick. Well, that's the thing about Cousins' career is that there is no mean. There's either peaks or there's valleys, and that's it. It's it's months where you can't explain why it was so great and months where you can't explain why it was so poor. And we're seeing the great, and the great has to get them to a point where he has some wiggle room. So if 
you win the rest of the way and you're four and four, three and three, and then you have one of those games where it's like, I don't know, you play at Soldier Field and it's just a no-show and you lose. It doesn't wreck your season. But if that comes against Detroit, that might wreck your season. And I think that that is right there, even after the high of a win, where if, if you're a Vikings fan, the thing you're nervous about is, okay, you've seen how good they can be, but every year there's that one game where you go, what? And that wasn't really Cincinnati. I mean, that game was right there to be won. Uh, that game, whenever that may come, uh, it really depends on the time of the season, how much that's going to hurt you. And I think what I'm saying is just the, you need this to continue. You absolutely, that's what 0-2 did for you, is there is no wiggle room the rest of the way to the bye week. It has to be as good as it was today offensively, and it has to be better than it was today defensively, or getting to 3-3 and at the bye or better is probably not going to happen. So I think this sets up for a very interesting next week, the whole what if they win, what if they lose. If they win, then it's, wow, season back on. Two huge wins at home. There we go. If they fall to one and three, and we'll talk about this more later, but then it's going to go, well, eh, uh, what did it really mean to beat Seattle? It was just kind of a random thing. So this game, I think, had a lot to say about what the offense can be and a lot of things that are sustainable, but now they have to do it. So give me your final thoughts. And hey, Greg Joseph, good for you. Good for you, pal. Greg Joseph, a low stress six for six today. (laughs) I don't think he had a kick longer than 43 yards. Um, Yeah, good for him. He needed that. Opposing kicker missed a field goal. Um, Shocking, stunning, could not believe it. Disbelief, yeah. Yeah, let's let's write Kevin Stefanski stories and who who other former Vikings are on their team. Fadi Adenabo, I think, got picked up by them. Is that, is that uh, exciting to you? A fi- yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. No more so. Sandejo. I think he's gone. Oh, man. I think he's on a practice squad uh, somewhere. Drew Petzing, former receiver coach. Mike Prefer. Oh, yeah, special, special teams. teams coordinator. A lot of Vikings angles. All three phases, in my Cleveland. friend. Cleveland is 2-1, and one, correct? Uh, correct. Yep, yeah. they lost to Kansas City. They've won their last two, and they just beat the brains out of Matt Nagy, who should not have a job anymore. It, you, Anyone who listens to the show knows. The one thing that drives me absolutely crazy is bad coaching, and we got to watch a lot of that Chicago game. And I, I just, in talk about disbelief, in total disbelief at what in the world they thought they were doing on offense. And I didn't even think that Justin Fields was like that bad. I thought he had nowhere to go with the football, which we saw so much from Mitch Trubisky over the years. And I don't understand why they continue to roll Matt Nagy out there. The Vikings are going to really, really wish they had gotten the Bears early in this season. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because if they get it together like they did last year a little bit, um, that's going to be much tougher. So, all right. Well, we'll be back together, you and I, on Tuesday. And we've got Murph on Monday, Jeremiah Searles, Tuesday morning left guard. Sage Rosenfels has agreed to stop by and complain more about Matt Nagy and talk about this game and uh, preview the Stefanski revenge game, if you will. So a lot of cool stuff coming up this week on the Purple Insider podcast. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you then.